0: Shows I forgot I was watching. I've been saying this for years. Someone's gonna make a billion dollars off of this idea of just, and I know that when you get on your Netflix, it tells you what you've been watching. But if you're in another house and it's not set up on the same account, you don't know what you've been watching. If you're watching on cable and you're on demand, it'll tell you what you're watching, but you don't know what you're watching on Hulu. 75 years ago, I was watching Mad Men, and I, I just never knew where I left off, so I didn't know how to get jump back in. It's like double dutch. And honestly, even with all these different channels, like I don't, I don't know. I, I text Paul these lists of shows that I want to watch, and I think they do have it on there where you could save something. I don't know if you, you save what you might want to watch, but I keep texting Paul like these shows that I want to have in the queue, and I have to remind myself of um, what the hell I was watching. Like, I'll forget, like, wait oh God, oh God, Britt and I were watching Manifest, right, okay, we're watching Revenge, we're watching Manifest, um, what else we're watching, and then there was another mom show we were watching, she'll remember, I gotta remember to write that down, the mom show, there's like a Bad mom, but it wasn't Bad mom. so I just remembered that show that we were watching, but then, and then, with with myself, I was watching Nine Perfect Strangers, loved it, by the way, then I was watching Dope Sick, loved it, but I, then, a couple years ago, I watched The Fall, and... Everyone told me that's a great thriller show. So I started, I forgot that I watched it. So I started watching it and I was like, wait a second, I saw this. And I'm like, what episode did I watch this up to? And did I watch the second and the third season? Happened to be with The Sinner, The Killing, Broadchurch. All these shows start to sound the same. So I, I have no idea what the hell I did. And there needs to be one app that's separate that you just like put into it. I need a notebook. You put into it what you started watching and where you were. Because what if you do it on a plane? Like, on a plane, I, and then I went back in with Mad Men. I'm, you know, what I'm writing it down, I'm going to go back to Mad Men. So I have no idea. what This can, TV has gotten so insane that I don't even know what's going on. I'm watching seven shows at the same time, and that's not my personality. I read one book at a time. Like, I can't be reading, I don't read a lot, but I can't be reading multiple books. So I want to finish the book. And what happens is now, I, I'm watching American Rust also, which I really like. Now, um... I'm watching American Rust and Dope Sick and only up to the episode where it's aired. So that's how you get jammed up because you didn't watch the whole season. So you leave it. You're like, all right, we, we're done now. You know, the Monica Lewinsky thing, we, we, we're done now. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, you're like, wait, I got to go back in. I forgot they're not done yet. It happened with um, Billions because Billions stopped shooting in the middle of the pandemic. So I forgot that I hadn't finished. So I don't know. It's... Someone's going to do this. I think I, I have to tell the head of Comcast or Ted Sarandos or whatever, but but someone, Apple, has to have this centralized ass- TV assistant that's going to help us know where the fuck we are at all times. What do you think? Do you have this problem or are you going to tell me there's some dumb, dumb thing that I don't know about where everybody's doing it and I'm not? But nobody I know has anything that's doing that. Everybody I know is like, wait, I thought, oh, I forgot I was watching that. Oh, I got to go back to that. Oh, Yeah. Today, my guest is comedian, actor, TV personality, and game show host, Howie Mandel. Fascinating man, amazing person. What an incredible conversation. He shares with me how a friend's dare at a comedy show led him to his stand-up career after struggling and dropping out of school. Comedy clubs gave him a sense of community and helped him find his passion. He's a person who always says yes, but the one time he said no, it changed his entire life and literally revitalized a career that he wasn't sure he wanted to continue. His career has been defined by taking big risks to get big rewards, including a wild story about the audition he almost didn't go on that led to the mega hit show Deal or No Deal. Howie Mandel has had an amazing career, but it's his definition of success that resonated with me most. I cannot wait for you to listen. So where did you, where did you grow up?
5: I'm from Toronto, Canada. From oh, okay. just a normal uh, middle-class um, upbringing, nothing exciting. No uh, show business, no real, uh, nothing that would, uh, wasn't that interesting.
0: (laughs) And did you, when you say middle class, like you didn't want for anything, but you definitely weren't rich. Like you had to work for what you had.
5: No, I, you know, we had everything uh, we wanted. And I said middle class, I grew up in an apartment. I shared a bedroom with my brother. Um, uh, we did go. You know, we would drive down to Florida every year. That was our big vacation. And um, I went to the pub. I was in public school. We didn't have. I. I. I had no. Uh, there were no frills. But I, I didn't. Uh, we. We never went hungry. I had whatever I wanted. I didn't know the difference. I didn't aspire to be anything more than what I had. I was. I had a happy childhood.
0: Got it. So, what did you think about money? What did you care about success? What was the work ethic? Uh, relationship in your house?
5: Well, you know, the truth is that for for me, money was independent. So I started working really young just because it it just gave me an opportunity. You know, it wasn't something I didn't come for money. And I realized that even if I wanted to buy gum, Uh, more than my mom wanted to give me gum. I needed my own money. So at 11, I I got my first job and I had a paper route. And in that paper route, uh, we lived in uh, an apartment complex. So I ended up getting um, all the building, you know, I grew up in Toronto, so there's winter, you know, and I didn't want to be out on a bike in the middle of winter delivering. So I got the, I waited and got the route and bought the route. Um, from I borrowed a little bit of money from my mom and 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 dad and and I uh, I got uh, I I delivered 300 papers, which is a, a an incredible undertaking. But the, the the truth is that I did it in in apartment buildings. So you know these I would get up at before school and then dump the papers out in the, well not before school but you know around. I didn't attend that much school, but I uh, the, the hardest part of the paper route was collecting because you wouldn't make the money unless you collect. And I didn't make a lot of money. It, it was it probably with all those papers, you know, I was probably making, you know, five cents a paper or whatever, so, you know, I don't know. You do the math. But but
0: there was a discipline to it and a system to figure out how how the whole program works. It's about the efficiency. Well, I just had, you know, if I had,
5: at that time, at 11 or 12 years old, if I had $15 in my pocket, that was a lot of money. And with $15, I could uh, take myself to a movie. I could uh, go buy whatever uh, garbage or pizza or whatever I wanted. I can, and that's uh, so I, I learned really early that for me, you know, money gave me a little bit of freedom and independence. I was also, and I've talked about this openly many times, you know, uh, I uh, had a mental and still have mental health issues and didn't realize that they were mental health issues. They were just uh, the quirkiness mm-hmm. and uh, the, uh, whatever the originality that made me myself, but uh, it also um, precluded me from, you know, being able to finish school. I, I, Kind of enjoyed school, but I, I I don't have a GED, and I was constantly being disciplined and uh, admonished for my behavior, which not until in my forties was I diagnosed with. So I couldn't. Forties, wow. Yeah, well, I'm you know I'm I'm sixty six this year, and
3: um,
0: no, I just mean if your kid was exhibiting any sort of resistant behavior in school even public school now someone would find a way to diagnose it so that's a big gap between but not in the 50s no i know that's why i'm saying it's crazy to think about
5: you know it's really funny because uh they you know not only mental health issues i'm colorblind and in in uh kindergarten my my mom tells a story about how she came to visit me one day in kindergarten and the teachers had put me behind the piano because They thought I was being um, uh, uh, a bit of a troublemaker at five years old because I kept, they kept telling me how to paint. They had these watercolors and they wanted me to paint something. I don't remember what it was, but I would always use the wrong. I couldn't identify colors. And they thought I was just trying to, so they put me behind the piano. He did it again. Right. We told him to use the green paint and he's using the brown paint or the red paint. And he won't, uh, you know, Howard won't listen to us. So, you know, in those days, instead of saying, hey, maybe there's something up, like maybe he's not identifying colors, everything that I did, whether it was the inability to sit down because I have ADHD or uh, so I would be um, up and fidgety and uh, create a disturbance, you know, was uh, kind of attributed to bad behavior rather than uh, a mental health
0: issue. Well, how have any of these how has any of this been an attribute? Like you're a creator, you're, you're about expressing yourself and not being in a box. So you literally did not grow
5: I think the only attribute, listen, uh, mental health is my, I'm an advocate for it. And uh, and I believe that it's imperative to a kind of, I don't think there's anybody alive, you know, I've talked about being diagnosed with OCD and ADHD. And I don't think there, you know, which doesn't make it easy for me to kind of, uh, send the message that I want. And and that is that I believe that, you know, mental health should be taken care of like our dental health. Right. You know, you will go. It's part of our curriculum, you know, in, in dental health, as a, as a mom, you, you, you take your child to the dentist, even if the kid isn't saying anything hurts. And you, you know, there used to be commercials where you say, look, mom, no cavities. Well, how do you know you, you went and got x-rays, but there's really nothing in place there's more in place today, but there's nothing in place for people to identify and and figure this out. So uh, it's not a good thing. If it is a gift, then I'd love to return it. But the point is that um, if anything, um, I don't have the capacity. Well, I kind of do now, but I don't have the capacity to think of ramifications. So I would blurt things out or do things without thinking like, oh, my God, if I do this, this is going to happen. So, you know, even my whole career, somebody said to me once I went to in the mid 70s, I went to a comedy club just as an audience member and with no aspiration to be in show business or comedy or make a living or being famous or anything. And uh, the uh, in Toronto and the uh, MC had got up and said, you know, if anybody. Has uh, aspires to do stand-up comedy. or there's any amateur nights after midnight, you can do a five-minute set if you want to on on Monday. So if anybody wants, that's just there. And somebody at the table said, "Howie, you should go up," and I said, "Okay," and with no no thought. And consistently, I I say okay. Um, I learned now. I'm disciplined myself into you know not. Um, My knee-jerk reaction is to say yes.
0: Controlling yourself.
5: Is to say yes to everything. Right. But I I said yes. And there was no thought. There was no preparation. There was nothing. I just thought if I I had to look back on it now, the the joke was that somebody was going to say, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And, and, and there's no reason for Howie Mandel to be on stage. There's no reason, I'm not a comedian. I didn't try to be a comedian. I didn't write any material. And th- if that was the joke, then that was the joke, just that I would appear. So, but I'll, I'll just tell you how that, so, th- so I did it. And, and they went, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And I walked out and without any thought, and, and I was presented on stage. And then what happened was I'd never been on stage before. The lights were blaring in my, you know, the, the spotlight. I couldn't see anything. And the applause, the uh, you know, the which you get for just being introduced. You don't have to be anything mm-hmm. or do anything if you go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, died down. And then I looked down and I could see in the in the front row that there was a, a like a, a row of strangers just looking up at me like, okay, funny boy, what do you got? And 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 I didn't have anything. And in that moment, uh, I got terrified, you know, just because it it became humiliating, you know, because I had nothing, and I realized I didn't think I should have come up with a joke, I should have come up with an opening, I should have come up with an ending, I should have had a plan, Mm -hmm. I should have done my homework, and I didn't. And in that moment, in that terror, I started uh, panicking in uh, in public, and I started going, okay, okay, all right, okay. And if you look at my old YouTube videos, that was the. The persona that I had then was, it was you were true to the moment. I was, but it was just, it was just terror. So I'd go, okay, okay, all right, okay, okay. And they'd start giggling at my uh, nervous energy. And then they'd giggle and I'd go, what, what, what? And that right. made it more. And, you know, I was flailing with my hands oh my because God. I was just nervous, but that became people started copying. Oh, you're the what, what, what guy? And then, I, you know, I just put my hands in my pocket. And because I've always ha- uh, been a germaphobe and a, and, and OCD, I didn't know it at the time, but whenever I went out, I took rubber gloves because if I had to go to a public restroom, I wouldn't want to touch anything. And this is in the 70s. And I just my hands were in my pocket when I pulled it out. The rubber glove was there and I, 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 I didn't know what to do. And I took the rubber glove and I, I pulled it over my head and to my nose. And When I was breathing, the fingers were going up. The audience started laughing. And then I, I didn't know what to do. And I grabbed the rubber glove and I inflated it with my nose and it popped and the audience roared. And I went, good night. And I walked off. And Mark Breslin, who is the owner of the club, is Yuck Yucks in Toronto, said that was amazing. Come back tomorrow. And I go, why? What, what do I do? And he said, do the same thing. And I go, what the fuck did I do? I don't know what. And I started going
0: back right.
5: and, and doing it. And again, still, without any aspiration of uh, making it in show business, I finally found a place where there were ne'er-do-wells by myself, like people who had uh, for all intents and purposes, behavioral problems.
0: The land of misfit toys.
5: That's what it was. So, right. and, and if I went there and I promise you, even today, if I was a, a custodian at a school and I had like one, you know, I don't play, I don't gamble. Um, I'm, not, I'm not good at sports. So I didn't have like a basketball game to get together, you know, once a week. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a poker game. Uh, In the seventies, disco was all the rage, Studio 54. I'm not a dancer. I don't go to clubs. I don't drink. So there was nothing for me. This is the only place. And I had been thrown out of school at this time. I don't have a GED. I was in high school. I had no place. So this is the place I went, you know, I got a free soft drink and French fries. And for twice a week I could show up and there was all these, this land of misfit toys and I did it. And then, you know, I was always, you know, just looking to uh, distract myself and stay busy. You know, I was working in a, at the time in the carpet business, I started a, a retail business. I, you know, when I was going out of school, I got a job in a in a carpet warehouse. And then I met the guy and became friendly with the guy who sold the carpet to the carpet, uh, the supplier. And I said, like, how does this work? And he gave me, I, I talked him into giving me some samples. And then I went door to door and started selling carpet. And I and I made a deal with a finance company that, you know, I, you could have this carpet, this rug for, you know, $5 a month for 15 years. And, and they said, if, if they have credit for $5 a month and I sign that, then they'll supply me with the carpet. And I had my mom, she had a big car. I had her uh, lend me the car so I could deliver the carpet. Eventually that turned into two locations and 12 salesmen.
0: So you're a business, you are a business person for sure. I mean, that's become clear by the paper route and this, but what the reason I asked earlier about has there been, and you said, if it's a gift, I'd like to give it back. The thing that you found in your whole life that propelled your success, your outlet, et cetera, seems to have been a result of Drawbacks that you were born with.
5: Well, I, I would, I would actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, shade uh, whatever success that I've had in life. It, it, what I've learned is the, the most success that I've had in life are the things that I have said yes to. I believe, that from this perspective, at this point, um, you know, we as thinking is not good. It, it, well, it's not good for me, but I don't think thinking, I think that as uh, a humanity. I think that we are built and created with this amazing instinct. And then what happens is, you know, everybody goes through life with this shoulda, coulda, woulda.
0: I I agreed. Or what that person says or you think you're supposed to be doing. I agree. The gut is so great, but it gets cluttered by the mind and the heart and emotions and other people. I agree.
5: Right. And there's every reason. If somebody said to me, um, aside from the business, of, you know, do you want to go try to be a stand-up comic? You know, as this kid in an apartment building with no connections. I mean, what are the chances of having any success?
0: But this is what I'm getting to. That's your takeaway for these people because I had no idea what the liquor business. Oh, I I didn't
5: know that. So that's exactly what it is.
0: What the liquor business was like. I created the first ever ready to drink low calorie cocktail. I didn't know that. I didn't know what I didn't know. So what you're saying is the same. We are so different in many, although we're very similar in many, many ways. I am fastidious and obsessive and organized and erotic and crazy, I don't want to say crazy, but very, very, I rec- I literally recognize myself in a lot of what you're saying, which I wouldn't have realized, but the yes is the same thing. Like go, like Nike said it best, just do it.
5: Just do it. So I, that's what I live, that's what I live by. And I, and I tell people, you know, if anybody says, let's do this, or you have a thought of let's do this, the, the normal, the norm for most people is go, that's a good idea, but, but this could happen. This right. could happen. This could happen. And we talk ourselves out of it. And, and you end up le- leading yourself to no. And if you think of the word nothing, the first two letters are no. And out of no comes nothing.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
4: Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: If you're like me, you're an idea hamster, and you want to do all of it and execute all of it, but then you have a family and time and being present. So how do you control that? Because it seems like you get activated a lot, as I do. So you're activated and you want to do it. How do you...
5: Because, uh, because I figure, because, you know, just uh, as, you know, I, I always seem to, and it's not because I look for it, but time management is inherent in me in the okay. sense that I always find the shortcut. <laughs> you know, if I say... I don't have the and and maybe this is my ADHD. I don't have the um, the capacity for minutia. You know, I I don't.
0: You don't do weeds. You're no, you're not in the weeds.
5: No, no. No. How how can I, what is the what is the shortest distance from A to B?
0: Efficient. You know,
5: even when you think about it, you know, even being a successful comedian, the the uh, the thing is that you know, I didn't sit and write material. And I'm not knocking the, the fact that you do your homework, brilliant people like like Jerry Seinfeld and, yeah. and, and and other people that I know will sit for hours like a job and kind of work out what they're going to do. And I can't sit. I couldn't sit in school. I can't do it. So if I have an idea, you know, it's just I'm not really cluttered with all the negatives and all the details.
0: You're, you're lean and you're efficient. It sounds like do you stack in your schedule like I'm there, so I'm going to do this, 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 this. And, and that's one, that's one, well, that's one of the things that's helped you too. being so obsessive means you're efficient and linear and like, boom, 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 get it done.
5: You know, I also, I also have a, a podcast and yesterday I had uh, Rob Deerdick on. I, I don't, you should talk to him because this is, uh, this is a perfect, you know, he's worth about $400 million now. Okay. He talks about, he talks about how, and, and, and we connected a lot in the same thing, you know? you you probably know him from ridiculousness which okay. is anytime mm-hmm. you turn on MTV they ordered 500 episodes his tv career is a side hustle he said he's worked it out and he's writing a book about it that's 3% of his time you would think that being the star of a tv show and and being you know at least renowned here in the united states that would take up more time and that's how i feel how many different things can i get first of all i don't have the 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 capacity To uh, just be stationary in one project for any amount of time. What I love about what I do, and I have been lucky enough to uh, be afforded these opportunities that have allowed me to, you know, whether I'm doing uh, deal or no deal, where we would uh, tape, you know, 10 shows in one day so the the season is over. I mean, AGT. Is under twenty. America's Got Talent is under twenty days of work for the entire year.
0: That's what Shark Tank. It's not pot of nine, pot of six. I get you. Producing a movie to you must be like four years from now. This thing's coming out like that's not. I used to be like, get the cameras, and then like it's already being produced and edited. I really do get that.
2: Well,
5: you know, that, that, that's the truth. You know, when when I got launched, you know, in the public eye in the 80s, I started doing HBO specials. And then I, I went over to St. Elsewhere, which was good for me because St. Elsewhere was an ensemble show with 12 people. So I only had three days a week. But when when that started launching in the early 80s, I started getting offered movies and I started doing movies in the early 80s. And I did about 10 movies. And then I said to my wife, I can't I can't I don't want to do this anymore.
0: The te- it's tedious. This shot, this shot from the other angle, this shot from the other angle. It's tedious for you, I would imagine.
5: You know, they do if they're, they're, you're lucky if you do two pages of work a day. I get it. There's nothing for me. There was nothing creative about it. It was the the writers and the directors medium. You know, it was just so slow and I didn't have any control over it. I just said, I don't want to I don't want to go away for three months and live in a place that I wouldn't want to live in. And, and be away from my family and my kids. I just like to live my life.
0: The takeaway for this audience with what you're saying is as being a kid trapped in classes, being told everything's wrong with you when all you want to do is bust out, you know, people have to find what works for them. Like, don't try to suppress who you think you love or are connected to or what you think you love doing. It's not It's not you, it's them. Like you found your, if if someone just jammed you into making movies, you'd be very, you'd be a failure overall. I don't mean that. I just mean, if you started out. No, but
5: you know, the the, the truth is I have no, you know, I didn't have an aspiration to be a comedian. I didn't have an aspiration to be a movie star. You know, maybe if I would say I ended up turning down movies that went on to huge success. I have no regrets about that because for me, success—I'll tell you—in my definition of success is contentment, and when I found success was April nineteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, is the day that I got up on stage and did that stand-up comedy. You know, I—I I, I know that date because—but
0: um, that's being true to who you are. That's interesting to me. That's being true to who you are and to to your your mental issues that you've had. So that's what that's what I find to be interesting. Like, it's. It has given you, if the thing that you love the most and that was your success, then that's the thing that you were born that way. I mean, you weren't, if you had been in that box.
5: What is success? Is success notoriety? Is success money? What is success?
0: Feeling inside like you're fulfilled. That's what you said, contentment. So you found something that fed you who you really are. Like that you- you... Just something,
5: you know, 99% of these people, and I say these people, in the world, don't like what they're doing each and every day. You know, in fact, it's become synonymous with even in advertising, they talk about hump day, you know, hump day is Wednesday when, when you're halfway through the, the, to the, of the week. So you can get to the weekend. So you don't have to do the shit that you're doing that just pays the rent. So the the point is I don't like that. So that's life, especially now from this perspective at 66 years old, you're going to spend most of your life. You hate going to school. You hate, going to work you're just trying to pay the rent you're just and then I always say you've got to find one thing in life it's not the thing that may make you the living one thing in life that you're passionate about I, I would imagine that when you came up with uh, the skinny girl drink it was just like you wanted something that's enjoyable that you wanted a drink that would you didn't have to worry about you're putting on weight exactly. you just it's for for you that's what you wanted yeah not because you thought that's what every it just turns out there's a lot of people like you that want the same thing thank you but but right. but the point is that I just wanted to find so I was excited when I started yuck yucks every time that I would call in on on uh Sundays to go get time spots on the stage I couldn't and he said I can go on Tuesday night and I can go on Thursday night All I thought about in my other work was, oh, Tuesday night, I can't wait for Tuesday night, one more day for Tuesday night, and then Thursday night. That kind of excitement.
0: That's this for me. That's this right now for me. Like, that's this for me. Your friend who said 3% of the TV show, I'm doing this. I've just gotten another podcast and there'll be a third. Like, I'm I'm loving this because I'm getting to talk to you and you're feeding me and we're connecting and I didn't know anything about you and I read about you and I don't read about people, but I do because I want to connect. So that's this for me.
5: Well, even for me, you know, even my pod, I do a podcast now and I do a podcast with my daughter. And originally I was approached by a company that said, let's do the, let's do a podcast. And, you know, I've only done, uh, we've only been on for a few months. And in the second month, I left that company because I said, listen, I don't want, you know, there are certain, I need to do it. I need to sit in a room with my daughter and my friends. I, I have no, um, at this point, I have no sponsors. I don't want any. You want to just express yourself. And I don't want to be behoven to anybody or anything. And I've uh, at a point.
0: Right. I got you. I get you. I really get you.
5: Passion is the key. Finding something you're passionate about. And it doesn't have to be one thing, many things. Yep. And at this point in my life, you know, time management is even more uh, prevalent because when you're in your 60s, you know... Uh...
0: Yeah, and you want to do things that you're passionate about during that time, yeah. So comedy, now I want to really talk about comedy. So you said that's when you're true to yourself, that's when you're alive. Are you... Is it just because there's all this pent up and it's so nice to express because that's the only thing I miss about train wreck television was me being able to be the Greek chorus and, and, and the comedy of it or is it that you really are just connecting and feeding off this audience? Is it what you're giving? What is it?
5: No, it's more about uh, it's, it's more about being a panacea to, for survival. I, uh, in that, my best analogy of that is, you know, I, I uh, stand up comedy in front of a live audience in the moment is uh the equivalent for me I, I during covid I'm not doing it but even at this age I still love thrill rides
3: um. and
5: I love uh roller coasters and uh, you know whatever you scare the shit out of me nothing keeps me in the moment and because of all my mm-hmm. mental health issues and and you don't have to have my mental health issues you know that we are trained um to um worry about what's happening next and uh, constantly considering uh, what happened before yes and very few of us live in the now and there is nothing cleaner and clearer than living in the now especially when you have something like I have OCD OCD is the fear if I shake your hand I'm going to be sick I'm not sick now I'm going to be sick and last year I had the flu and I don't want to get that again right when I'm on stage in that moment like I was uh you know April 19th 1977 when that Fear struck. That same fear is like going over that first hill in the in the uh, on the roller coaster. You know, in in the moment, I was just grasping and pulling things, and I can't think of anything outside of this moment. And any time you could, as a human being, live in the moment, that is the most pure essence of who you are, what you do, how you can be productive.
0: But, but yes, but the only reason you're scared. Is because of them. If you were standing alone in the room, you wouldn't be scared. So you're scared because what if they don't laugh? Like that's the definition of success in that moment. I later I'll tell you if we have time. I did stand up comedy one time. I decided, and ten days later, I went um, to the store, the, the comedy store in New York City um during the pandemic the first day comedy clubs opened up again i didn't consider the fact that there would be people sitting six foot apart with masks on and like that's not that the pandemic isn't that funny um but i did it and i talked to uh chris rock and ellen and kathy griffin and a bunch of different comedians uh, kevin nealon to to learn about the craft of it right and um I was together as much as I could be with 10 days to prepare, meaning I, the day before I started to prepare what I was going to say, I'm like you, I'm not gonna do this for six months. Like it just went up. But I felt good because I felt organized, like you, like I felt organized in my mind, like just some general idea of what I was going to do. I, went, I didn't have anything really written down, but I just had a, ge- so that felt comfortable. Even if they didn't laugh, I would have felt okay because I went out and I played my best game. But, but that wasn't a roller coaster. So I'm interested in you for you. It's so like. So
5: I don't want to be prepared. I right. don't want to be comfortable. I'm incredibly comfortable with discomfort because discomfort wow. is what keeps me in the moment. Discomfort doesn't allow my, you know, I'm comfortable lying in my bed at night with no uh, responsibilities. It's the worst. It's a fucking nightmare for me.
0: Oh, well, I wasn't that comfortable. I mean, believe me, I was walking up to do it, but I get what you're saying. You really walk in and you stand up. And you have no idea what you're going to talk about whatsoever?
5: No, no, no. I do now. Listen, I've been in it for 40 years and I have, you know, obviously a plethora of material. But the best moments and the best nights for me are when you can take me off that beaten path. So if I go out now and obviously there's people who have expectations of what they're going to see, especially if it's my own concerts and my own shows. But. If there is a a technical problem or something happens in the room or something, those are the joy. Yeah, those are. And I don't mind even in the moment tanking and then spend my my life just trying to dig myself out of my little hole. Those are the moments that are um, that seem to be the most productive for me. I like that kind
0: of uh Kevin Nealon said to me because I said how does I was asking and I found it fascinating the different style like each person has their own style I didn't never thought of that like somebody could be super quirky or you know Richard Lewis and like or um mine was like ranting mine's like something I'm aggravated about I didn't know that someone told me that because I didn't know anything about this I love the craft of what you do like there's such an interesting respect for this craft
5: well, comedy only works, and I think most things work, even business, with authenticity. You know, if you're going to act like something, then I think that the public can see through that. So, you know, just be yourself.
0: But that's how you can fail. I didn't get how, I didn't get how Jerry Seinfeld could ever tank, and you just said you could tank, and Kevin Nealon's like, it's just when you're taking chances is when you could tank. Like, if you're not taking risks, you could be funny, but you're not taking risks, so it's sort of what you're describing.
5: But for me, you know, I have no problem saying to the audience, you know, I just went fucking blank (laughs) or 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 something happened in the moment. And then you get out of that moment. You know, I told a a story in in my book. I was playing um, uh, Radio City Music Hall and and the audience was roaring. So there was one guy, there's seven thousand people in the room and there's one guy that's not making any kind of contact with me. He looks kind of off in the distance. He's not. And he's in the front row. and, And, you know. When you get on a roll, it's kind of magic because you, you kind of have to work less. It's like pressing the gas and then you can coast for a couple of minutes. Tables are hot. Yeah, so everybody's, everybody's going and this. The room is electric, but I, for whatever reason, that one negative Twitter comment or whatever, I'm looking at the guy and I, in the moment, because I didn't think like, why would you stop the rhythm? Why would you do it? But in the moment, I just said, hey, hey, hey. It's one fucking guy, the guy in the blue sweater what is it with you? You don't look at me. You're not responding like everybody else. What have I done? What have I done? And the lady beside him went, he's blind. And I, and I, and I, without even thinking, I, I respond like the, the whole room didn't hear that, but I said, he's blind. And you could hear the air go out oh. of the room, you know, and not only, like, oh my God. And my heart oh. dropped into my stomach and it was silent I went from the fucking top of the roller coaster to the bottom and totally just derailed and I was just standing there in the moment and I could feel the sweat from within just coming out you could see the sheen on my my face in front of the whole audience go and but in that moment and and then just in that moment I'm just digging and digging and digging and then I just said what I thought and and it came out without any thought. I went, can I ask one more question? I've probably ruined comedy for the night, but let me let me just ask one question. The man is blind. Why the fuck would you spend money on front row tickets? You could put him in the balcony.
0: Oh, this is a risk. Oh, you said this out loud? But they roared. They ended up roaring. And I got them back. Oh my God. But that's, that's what Kevin Nealon was talking about. You took the sickest risk ever though. That's my point. Like that's the, that's a risk.
5: In the moment, it wasn't a risk, it just was real. You know what I mean? That was my
0: real question. That's where I went. Well, that's the true thing, of, but that's fearlessness because when I was doing um, the practice, before I got really controlled in that syndicated talk show, I was doing the one that you came on and it was produced by Ellen and it was like, it was did very well in all these different places and it was good. And the EP said to me, if you think it, say it. If you feel it. Now, maybe sometimes if I think it and I'm going to write it in my book, I might think about if I'm saying something I'm going to be canceled for because, but. But if you think it, say it. But that's a crazy, crazy story. I know I had not heard that story, but that's sort of...
5: But that's back to what you were saying at the beginning. Nike says, just do it. Yeah. You know? And then and then deal with the ramifications. Like, yep. even if you're in a show, edit it. You know, as a comedian, that's a lot scarier now because a lot of my friends have uh, been canceled or lost big accounts. And But I kind of just do that, like, even in investing. You know what I mean? If something just looks good, I... Just, Boom! You know,
2: yeah.
5: you may, if you have uh, five investments, three can go south. Two could end up just being, you know, tenfold what the other three would have been if they were. It's
0: that unadulterated thought that you 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 need, and I I really do get that. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly. What part of you is, is good at business, is an entrepreneur, is a brander, or are you just living what you're doing and you have good people around you helping you? No, I have,
5: a, first of all, I don't have a, a big team. Okay. And I have an entrepreneurial spirit, which is probably equal to whatever my creative spirit is. Okay. Um, I've been very um, uh, active for as long as I've been in, in show business in, you know, my fear was, I've been aware of money. I've always been aware of money from 11 years old. I I had, that was my $15 that I made. So it scared me when I started making money in this business um, to not have, and also it's not, you don't, I'm lucky now I've got a a career that's going along, but you know I didn't know that I would make any money next week. Every job feels right. like your last job, yep. you know i can I can do a g t and maybe they don't call me back next year and whatever money is coming in. so I was very concerned about you know being able to uh, I've been married for forty two years I have three kids, I have two grandchildren i I, I felt responsible for not only taking care of myself. But my family. So
0: you had money noise. I call that money noise. It's just not a calm space for you. Maybe it is now, but for a time when you first are successful, you don't know if you can buy a pair of seekers You aren't. You actually don't understand, even though it's irrational.
5: No, but the first time I've talked about this, I got I, the first time just from comedy when I got like fifty-five hundred dollars in the bank. At that time in the in the eighties, I bought a uh, a CD, a term deposit. Right. You know that was paying off twelve percent, and you had to lock it in for ten years. So now I had $200 in the bank and I'd taken $5,000 and locked it away for 12 years. But, that's, but, but that was worth the $750,000 that it was throwing off a year guaranteed for the next- It makes you feel safe. That's, that's right. And also, any time I ever invested, it was what, you know, I, I realized, and I say this now, everything, everything we do in business is fourth grade math. After fourth grade, as long as you can add and subtract, you know, the the biggest investments I've done just made sense to me. You know, when when um, when uh, Vegas was the biggest, you know, I I started getting jobs. And so what happened was people were saying that, uh, you know, Vegas was the biggest growing city in the world. You know, at the time I was playing Vegas. And they were saying, like, it was really hard to even get a plumber in L.A. or a tile guy or even there because everything you know, Steve Wynn was building the Mirage and they were building all this. So, you know, because I used to be in the carpet business, we, my buddy and I, we ended up buying I said, this is a good business. We ended up buying for nothing, all the dirt around the airport. And we built these um, we called them uh, commercial condos. But we built these these little warehouses where I said, if you're a tile guy or you're a plumber. You're looking, I, I saw that they were storing. My friend was, that guy was doing property management and they had all these warehouses and, and they were being rented out to all the different trades. And I said, well, why don't we just sell them those the way to sell them just to say, instead of the rent, you're paying your mortgage. That's a write-off. You can be here for much less money and you have an asset. He said, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. These, these little tilt-ups cost nothing. So we bought all the land around the airport and I couldn't build them faster than I could sell them.
0: Fascinating. And then
5: uh, when I was in Vegas, I saw like KB homes and all these uh, home people I was reading about, they were doing, there was lineups for people auctioning the homes, right? They were selling, all people were retiring there and they would build, they would go out into the desert and they'd uh, line up a track of homes, 2000 homes they were gonna build and all these people were buying homes. And I said, well, if all these people are buying homes, because I would drive out just as, I was fascinated. I didn't want a home there. I didn't want to buy one of these homes, but I would drive out I would say, how do these people, like they're all gonna live here. Where are they gonna, like, I got an idea. So I would buy an acre of dirt leading into the communities. And when the communities were built up, I would build a little uh, strip mall with a car wash and a, and a, and a, and a gas station. Because I knew that all these people who were wow. going to work or had to drive somewhere, this is the place that they would get gas. And I built those on every corner and I ended up selling it. But it just made sense to me. It was like when I was a kid and I was playing Monopoly. So that, and I've done that more than, more than show business, but this is not something I, I promote. It's just fun for me. I'm playing real live Monopoly.
0: Well, what has been your greatest business success? I don't mean what you get, what you love the most, is what has been your greatest financial business project?
5: Probably those, uh, you know, I ended up selling, we ended up having, you know, eight little strip malls and gas stations and I, I sold all of them.
0: Interesting, so it's never, the, it's often not, Stacy's pita chips was not the sandwiches that they, the sandwich business that they went, set out to build. It ended up being the leftover bread they needed to have so they never ran out of sandwiches and they made PETA out of that, and that's what she ended up selling for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars 20 years ago. It's, it's always amazing. It's never going to be in the form that you think it's going to take. Well, But
5: that's again, to be open to, like, you gotta see it.
0: Just do it. That's why I said it, exactly. What do you think is funny? Like, what do you laugh at as a comedian?
5: A- anything real. You know, a-, a lot of people, one of the reasons I do, uh, I'm, I'm known for pranks and doing hidden camera stuff is because Um, I've told this story a lot, but my my, uh, parents were really into comedy, and uh, on any given night that Tonight Show was on in the other room, and I would hear them both like laughing hysterically, my dad would bring home an album, a comedy album, and they'd play and they'd laugh hysterically, I was maybe four or five years old, and when I heard the laughter, that was kind of like a magnetic drive going to the living room, and I'd see what was on the TV and there'd be a stand-up comic, you know, talking about his mother-in-law and that, and I didn't, and my parents were laughing and I didn't know what the fuck a mother-in-law was. I don't even know what that term is at four years old, but I wanted to be part of the laughter. And my first recollection of being part of the laughter was on a Sunday night, there was a show called Candid Camera. I remember. Which was the first hidden camera show. Yeah. And I was sitting there watching it with my parents and Alan Fund, who was the host, was this nice old man who came out and explained to us that um, what he's gonna do is he's gonna pretend that he's the boss of an office. He's gonna hire these women to be receptionists. Uh, they don't know that they're on a TV show. And the, the one instruction to, to, his one instruction to them is going to be, you must answer every single phone call. Don't miss one phone call and take a message. And at the same time, he showed us that he tied a rope to the leg of the desk, which was drilled through a hole in the wall. And what was gonna happen was, Every time he'd leave the office, but when the phone would ring and she went to reach for the phone, somebody would pull the rope and the whole desk and the phone would just slide across the room and she'd (laughs) miss it. When he explained, so you just giggled (laughs) without even seeing it. And I remember my parents laughed and I turned to them. I understand. I understood what he was doing. And this was like the biggest, the first connection. It was like a guttural laugh. We were all in on it. He pulled us in on it. It wasn't a joke. It was like, so relatable like oh my god if I was in an office and the desk flew away I'd be so fucking scared it was like being at a surprise party when they go she's coming up the driveway she's coming up the driveway right just this guttural feeling and then the first time when the first woman sat down and that phone rang and she went to reach for it and it went across the room I had such a visceral guttural laugh like almost a scream all three of us my parents and me just laughed and from that day on I've continually tried to ca- recapture that feeling. And the feeling is, you know, I don't like jokes. I don't like, if you say, here's something really funny. First of all, I should be the judge of whether I think it's funny or not. You shouldn't tell me it's really funny. But n- n- number two, when you tell me two guys walked into a bar, uh, they didn't, you know? <laughs> so I, I, can't, I can't really imagine. Right. You're just making up a story. Right. But when you, when you show me somebody that i can relate to that is in an uncomfortable awkward situation
0: same by the way exactly i'm so literal you're very literal. i'm the same exact i don't love sci-fi because it wouldn't really happen like in my life like i don't see martians or people on a spaceship i like that's so funny i like the same thing i like things that are real true things that could actually happen and so
5: people say it's mean to do but i don't think it's mean i think we're all you know we all whether you're as neurotic as i am you know, everybody talks about that dream where you show up at a party and you're in your underwear. You know, ultimately it's like, we feel we don't belong. We feel we don't, and, and anytime you can replicate that or control mm-hmm. that feeling, and then, you know, pull back the curtain and go, don't, don't, don't be uncomfortable. It's just a joke, it's us and that. And then you see the relief and everything. There's something really nice and, uh, you know, and, and, and there's some closure to it and it's something very yeah. human. And that's what I relate to the most.
0: Well, making people laugh is amazing, and laughing is amazing. But the best is when it all happens at the same time when you make someone laugh and then you're laughing because you know it's so funny. That like that's got to be a high. Do what? What has been? What's been your rose and your thorn of this career? The high and the low. Like just like the thing that was amazing, and maybe that date in 1979 uh, or something else that I, no one knows about, and the low.
5: Well, the lows are the the lows are. I really really. Um, I love living in the moment and I love doing it for uh, myself, you know, in, in 19, in, 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 2005, I was about to leave the career and I wanted to leave the career because it's just a fucking kick in the nuts every day. I like, I liked, and I'm, and I, I'm sincere when I say this, I love that feeling that I got in April, you know, in, in 1977, April 19th, 1977 of not worrying about, ratings mm-hmm. uh, not uh, being competitive just doing something i love that made me feel good it really made me feel good and and the the what happens is with more success comes more responsibility and 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 more outside um powers that kind of whether they review you whether they cancel you whether they tell you whether you have to now have a team like you said uh, when you were doing it with Ellen it was good and then maybe you got I did a talk show it was one of the toughest things I ever did in the sense that it's what I wanted to do and then they told me that I had to, to hire an executive producer because I didn't understand daytime I had done so good filling in for Regis they hired me and then they I had a friend that I wanted to Produce the show. Another person produce, and I listen. You know that as soon as
0: well. That's a whole different. That's a, that's a, that's literally being in a factory. And when we come back, and up next, and back at nine, you're like in corporate America on television. You know, and you can't be yourself. Well, there's
5: these. Uh, you know, the, the, the authenticity of who you are, which got you to that point, is now taken over. Everybody's got right. a responsibility to create your authenticity, which is the exact opposite of authenticity and uh, that's why i still always go back to go back to stand up because i'm in control there's no editing there's no marks to hit there's nothing to throw to
0: reality television in the right way at the right time produced by the right people feels like that, too. It's gotten manufactured now where they're actors, but it used to be where you were just not wearing makeup and you look like I do right now, just living your life. And it really had a sense of comedy to it because it was just being honest and reacting and there's nothing appropriate about it, or that has to be. It could be, but it was really pure when it was pure. And I just talked about that recently because people begged me to go back to this reality show. And I said, if I could get it back to what it was in April 9th, 1979, when you felt, where it was just purity, I would do it. I used to laugh so hard. And love just commenting, but it being something about hair, makeup, lashes, editing, and getting press is not my cup of tea. So I get what you're saying. Well, that's not reality. It's not, well, that's the ironic part. It's not reality at all, it's not a reality show. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool and hourly.
5: When I was going to leave and when I was discouraged and I was okay financially, you know, in, in 2005, I, you know, as we talked about, I had real estate and things like that. I just said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I do uh, behind the scenes and I will drop into the comedy store, the Laugh Factory, two, three times a week. And that'll suffice. I don't want to work anymore. Okay. And then I got a call from Rotenberg, from Michael Rotenberg, who is my manager and my best friend to say, uh, you know, NBC wants you to do a game show. They say that you're perfect for it. And I went, are you fucking nuts? And I hung up the phone because at that time, if you take yourself back to see, this is the one time where I didn't use my philosophy. And it's kind of a good story. He he, uh, nobody, nobody in comedy had ever done a game show, not since Groucho Marx did You Bet Your Life. And when your currency is-
0: And now it's all we think about, but that was like a new concept. That's interesting. You were host. You were hosty.
5: Right. And also because, you know, at that time, you know, if you're a movie star, you didn't do TV. If you were a TV star, you didn't do uh, commercials.
0: Real- when I started reality TV, they would never have an actress on reality. It was just be reality. You're a person. You're not- you don't have paparazzi following you. You're a nobody. You're just being covered. So it's funny. And then all of a sudden, now it's all actresses. So you're talking about a different time, too. I didn't remember that. Yeah, it used to be host, hosty
5: host. Yeah, so, so, so I said, no way. And I said, listen, my career is in the toilet right now. I went from playing like arenas and, you know, 15,000 people and 10,000 people at 2005. I was... Uh, there's an arc to every business. I was playing clubs that were half full. I, I had done a series, St. Elsewhere, which launched Denzel Washington and, and myself. And now I was uh, in um, auditioning for Five Lines and Under. So I just, you know, I don't need this. This is a lot of pressure and a lot of, right. you know, angst for nothing. So I'm not enjoying it. I'll just go to the club a couple times a week and I'll continue in my real estate. So, um, and Michael called and I thought it was a joke. He calls back, he goes, listen, They've never done something like this before. Apparently, there's a show that is huge all over the world. NBC says you're perfect for this. And they're going to air it. They've never done this. They're going to give you five primetime hours in one week, Monday to Friday. And I said, Michael, even more of a I I, I thought being a game show host is going to put the nail in the coffin of my career. Uh But five nights a week. Now you are putting five fucking nails. No, he calls me back one more time. He goes, they say that you're the only person that can do this. Will you at least meet? So, so, so he, he, um, I said, you know what? This sounds horrible. I'm at Jerry's deli in the Valley. Uh, I'm having some soup. If the guy wants to join me, I'm not going to any meetings, but if the guy wants to join me from soup, I'll hear, I don't want to get in my car. I don't want to even spend gas money on going for this. He goes, he'll be there in a half an hour. This guy, Rob Smith, who was Mm -hmm. from a company called Mm Andamal shows up. He shows up at the at the restaurant. He moves my soup aside. He goes, look at this, just look at this. And he had made a card. He didn't even go to Kinko's. He, he made it, he didn't have rulers or anything. He cut out 26 little squares by hand, he, which I, ha- I have all these papers and all this shit on my wall in my office. And it's, it's, it's really, you go, this is the beginning of what deal or no deal became. But anyway, he goes, pick one of the, don't look at it, but pick one of these squares. You're looking for the one with a million dollars. And we sit at the table and I, I he goes, you think you got the million dollars? I, go, I don't know. He goes, well, op- open another, uh, turn over another five of these. And he shows me the game without any, and it, it's nothing. It's nothing. There's no fucking game. I said, five hours, there's just people opening cases. Like, where is the game? Right. And he goes, well, that's the game. So I go home and I also, uh, I suffer from depression and anxiety and I went home and my wife said, what did you, what did you think of it? I said, I think, and I swear to you, I think I'm unpunked. I think <laughs> somebody <laughs> just showed me a, it's not a game and Michael's <laughs> in on it. And I think this is like. It's the,
0: it's the Seinfeld of game shows, which is not really a great model. Nothing happens. <laughs> about nothing.
5: Right. So, so then she goes, you know what? You're really depressed. Maybe it's not punk. You really just need to distract yourself. Say yes. And I go, do you think so? This is the first time I didn't react with a yes, the very first time in my life on anything. Okay. She said, do it. My wife's a lot smarter than I am. So I called back and I said, I'll do it. And this is like on a Friday. And the guy said, Oh my God, you are so perfect for this. We couldn't have thought of anybody better than you. You, you, we are so excited. And I said, When does it tape? And they said, Monday. I go, it's Friday. They go, Monday? I go, don't you have to build a set? I got, they go, it's built. I go, well, you said there's 26 models. Don't you have to hire people to? Mon-? They're all there. So I realized how far down the list was I. How many fucking people had right. said no? That's why they couldn't do right. without me. I was the last one on the right. list. Right. I, I, I was the last. So anyway, and then I got really scared. And then I called them back on the Friday night. I was
0: them- it decent money?
5: It was, it was okay, but it wasn't, a, th- th- that deal wasn't made for money. That deal was uh, really get to my wife to get me out of the house. But, but so my, so uh, I called them back and I said, uh, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing here, but can I have a budget for a couple of comedy writers? So at least this is like Friday, I'm, Monday, I'm going to be on NBC. I got right. nothing. And from what he showed me at Jerry's Deli, there is not, I can't just spend an hour going open the case, deal or no deal. <laughs> Open the case, dealer No, that's not a show. I'm embarrassed enough <laughs> that I've taken this job and now you're giving me nothing. So they said, okay, hire comedy writers. So they gave me some writers okay. and I sat all weekend and we wrote uh, some really funny, good stuff. I said, if nothing else, the show is a piece of shit but at least I'm going to be on network television. Right. Maybe I've decided to leave this career but maybe I'll invigorate, maybe I'll be able to fill a club or, or something. And then what happened was I had all this comedy, Monday morning, I show up at the show and, and um, I did 500 episodes, but I remember this like it is now clearly. They go, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Howie Mandel. And I walk out and the audience is roaring and it's in 360 degrees, there's 12 cameras. And I introduce the very first contestant. Her name is Karen Vang. And I say, Karen, tell me about yourself. And Karen is this nice young lady who says, I have three boys. And she points to these young men and the, uh, these kids in the audience. They're really there, and I'm looking at them. She goes, "I've never owned a home. We have no health insurance. I live someplace in the Midwest. She wasn't New York or L.A. So, like, you know, the, the cost of living is nothing, you know. And I've never had anything, and I just mm-hmm. want to put a, a roof over their head, or at least buy health insurance. And and uh, I said, "Oh, okay." And it, it kind of hit me because I've never been involved. Yeah in anything, everything I've done is pretend, whether it's a, a comedy act, whether it was with a script, and I saw a real person, and I'm standing, not like here, not like on Zoom, and I'm talking to a real person, and, and what hit me is, you know, first and foremost, I'm a, a human, you know, and I'm a father, and I'm a husband, and, uh, you know, I am a empathetic you know and and what happened was I I was looking at her and she had I don't know if you've been on the set of a television set where somebody who has no experience in television and has never been anywhere she's never been to Hollywood I think was her first time on a plane and the, the lights are around there's 300 people I could see that there's a glaze you know she's not really focusing she's just amazed that she's in this amazing situation and this amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. I did a couple of jokes and I could see that she's like just having a good time and doing the jokes, but it's, it's distracting. And she opens the first couple of cases. And I say to her, it's the first time I've taken a call from the banker who offers her $10,000. And um, I say, uh, Karen, the banker offers you $10,000. And before I can say deal or no deal, she goes, no deal. And I'm thinking, you know, I wanted to say to her, you know, 10,000, thousand dollars cash right now I know for a fact where you live number one you can get health insurance number two you could probably get a down at this time you know we're talking about 2005 you could probably put a a down payment on a house in Iowa you can you could put a roof I'm looking at the children right here and you're not focusing and I started to think you know what, maybe it's me, maybe because I'm being so distracting and that I wanted to focus. And I changed my cadence, which ended up being made fun of on SNL, but I talked to her like I would talk to the five-year-old. And on the next offer, I would go, Karen, the offer is $60,000.
0: You were so invested and so present to bring back your word.
5: Right, But but the point was, I just, the whole, my whole being, I forgot about every joke I ever did. Right. My whole, my, well, not even the money that, that I wanted you, the contestant to leave in a better position than you came in on. And I wanted, and I, if you didn't, I don't want it to be on my, you know, when people left and it didn't do good, I really left that set every day feeling horrible. If they, if they didn't do well. And and I, I just wanted you to do better and I wanted you to make decisions. And you know, that million
0: dollars- Oh, but if she, if she had, if the next one was a million dollars, you would have freaked out too, though. I'm sure that happened.
5: Yeah, but I'm not a gambler, you know, even in Vegas. Oh, I'm not okay. a gambler. I don't know if you should take that. If you need it right now, and there's three children sitting there and you could take $60,000 right now. I would take $60,000 because I, they used to get mad at me because I go, listen, $60,000 is your right right now. But if you don't, if you do not take the $60,000, that goes away. You're going for a chance. Hear me. The word chance at $1 million. So do you want the guaranteed six? You, are you in a position?
0: Wow. You were good at this. That's why you were good at this. Because like you were invent- I'm, I'm feeling it now.
5: Well, so, so here's what happened. So I taped those five shows. I have never been more depressed in my life. I went home and I said to my wife, this is not only depressing it's humiliating. This is the first time I was on five hours of television. Uh I told no jokes. I didn't, I didn't play a character. I didn't have any lines. I just was like, I am at home with my, with my kids. This is going to be so fucking embarrassing. Buy a ticket right now. Let's go to the Caribbean. We flew to Tortola. I wanted a place that didn't have TVs that didn't have anything. I didn't want to watch my, I didn't want to watch my career. Just, you know, I, I was so humiliated. On that Tuesday morning, I get a call from Rob Smith from Endemol saying, "You're not going to believe it. Like 20 million people watched last night."
0: Stop.
5: No, yeah. So, so oh. he, he went. He went. That's great. Then the next day he calls me. It's 22 million. The next day he calls me and he goes, "This is a phenomenon. Deal or no deal is probably one of the.
0: It was like that show quiz show in the 70s.
5: Right. Well, quiz show is the reason that that you know they didn't do talk shows for a long time because that's the uh, they cheated. Yes, it was the big prime time. Anyway, what happened was uh, on Friday, I flew back. I landed in Miami and within three seconds, the first person that caught a look just looked at me, and went deal or no deal. That was the biggest success of my career. And off the, on the,
0: and the biggest risk
5: and the one thing I said no to. And not only that, I mean, I'm not, I'm tooting my own horn here, but it's not my horn because they thought of hiring me. But, but the thing is that within weeks, you know, Fox called Jeff Foxworthy and said, are you smarter than a fifth of grader course. Um, family feud called Louie Anderson now became Steve Harvey. And th- now there isn't a ta- uh, a game show alive that isn't headed by, uh, a uh, comedian, I was, uh, I was
2: the first.
0: I get that, I was the first one to really make celebrity uh, alcohol connection in a public way. People would ha- right. and no one knows that, no one cares, but I didn't know that about you, I wouldn't know that. I know you're Howie Mandel, I know you're hilarious. I wouldn't know that, so thank you for telling me because I like, people, people should be reminded and you should get the street cred for it, or Rob Smith should. Well, I don't need any
5: credit for it, but it's just what happened. But it's the one thing, and then based on that success, I ended up, uh, neg- Mark Itkin, our uh, our uh,
0: mutual friend
5: and agent at the time, mm-hmm. um, uh, negotiated a production deal. So I uh, became a production company. I don't know that other people know this, but I love, I actually love behind the scenes more than in front of it. And I ended up producing a bunch of Uh, shows and then I was at Universal for seven years and then I left Universal and I'm off on my own and we bought, uh, I have my own uh, studio and we produce and develop everything from apps to games to uh, a lot of digital and television shows we, we put on the air and formats. So, uh, you know, that started my business in, in show business. And there's the one thing that was the most embarrassing thing that I said no to, but that kind of enforced, there's no more no's. I don't do no anymore.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Well, I love that. There's only two more questions because I didn't want to keep you too long. Is that? I have
5: three more answers. Okay.
0: <laughs> Good. I bet you do. Wait. So, work ethic. We talk about that a lot. We're in the lands of gimmicks and filters and Instagram and 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 fools gold, and you know, you work so hard that you're re. Rein- it's not even really a question. It's kind of a commentary, and you'll have something hopefully to say about it. But just. That it's really about old school hard work. It sounds like every single thing that you do, you do to the fullest. You execute, you deliver to the best of your ability, and and you're present in whatever you're doing. That sounds like old that could be nineteen fifty right now. And that's what the key to success is. That for young people listening, it really is just about going for it, executing, and you know, figuring it out. All all roads eventually lead to Rome.
5: But you know, you use the you're using the term work. You know i don't feel like i work i feel like i do a lot of stuff i feel like but
0: you worked at carpets at carpets you were working
5: you know what not really i enjoy i have so many stories you know it was really funny i got a job at the warehouse the carpet warehouse when i met the guy who sold the carpet to the warehouse i said how can i do it and and i was going door to door selling and, and I don't think I was doing it. First of all, I'm incredibly colorblind. I don't think I'm not a good, uh, but I'm a good salesman. But sales is, I just had an audience of one or a family.
0: So it's not work. You're saying it's something, you're just executing something that you love or that you're scared to do or that it's taking risks. And and, and, I mean, but there's some-
5: Maybe the risks, I don't think of that. You know, afterwards, I think there was a risk, but in the moment, there's no risk. I'm just doing, and I do these things and, and they, they end up being incredibly productive and there is some, and even at the things that I work really hard at and you're talking about, or the things that I do a lot and then they don't create something or there's nothing coming out of it, then what I've created is knowledge. I've created a knowledge of a path to not go down.
0: Oh, of course. Failures are successes because you learn the skill set to resolve those issues, the practical solutions, and work through it, and you don't make the mistake again.
5: You know, people may think this is work. You know, we're on we're on uh, a podcast right now. You're on a podcast. It doesn't feel like I'm working. It feels like I can't believe this is my job, you know, talking to somebody about things that I'm interested in, but I am. I mean, this is time that I can't do something else.
0: No, thank you for saying that. It's my, I, I'm so grateful, too, and I know you didn't say it for that reason, but, like, I... Can't believe that people give me their time to have these conversations, but I love it so much because I feel like most people don't know these granular aspects about you and the threads, you know, of, of, of who you are.
5: You know, and if you read Steve, if you read Steve Jobs' book, you know, he was
0: in that Live for that book.
5: Right. So he was in the garage doing things that, uh, you know, he mm-hmm. wanted to do, that he was passionate about, that he was. It wasn't about the billion dollar or changing the world. It did change the what world. It did make a billion dollars, but that's not why he was doing it.
0: Everybody who's really successful on here, well, I mean, I bring up Sheryl Sandberg, who really was an you know academic. Like she just, she just loved what she was doing. That's really the key to success. It's it's so, it's been so tried and true. People don't really believe it. So many people are motivated by money and all the cars and all the flash and cash on social media and that's not the key to success. Like it really is loving what you're doing, passion. The drive is because of the passion and the truth and the purity of what you talked about earlier. Of all the people I know in my life,
5: um, the most miserable people are probably rich, you know? And I know a lot of really, I know really content people that don't have what maybe most people would think is a lot of money, but they are rich in the sense that they are excited about getting up today and doing whatever it is that they've chosen to do in their life or in that week. And that's what I say, just find a passion and that is
0: success. That's an amazing, okay, so last thing is you've been married for a long time and um, n- no relationship is perfect, but I call it successful relationships where two successful people, uh, you know, maintain a partnership for such a long period of time. And what have been tenets that that what are things that you rely on or that you have relied on that have always been tried and true? Connecting in every day, giving each other space, really accepting who you are. What you know, if, if it's important to them, it's important to me. No, I, everybody has different. But I'm giving you what other people have said. Well, I think
5: that the one thing that works in any relationship, and 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 that goes for your spouse, your children, the your coworkers. Um, everybody the one main thing is respect wow you know just respect just you know i believe that that's it that that you can't be i respect humanity i respect everybody i respect you know you have to look somebody in the eye and feel that everybody and every person no matter who they are are worthy of respect and i don't care I respect when my child, well, my grandchildren now, are seven years old. I have as much respect for my seven-year-old granddaughter as I do for my wife.
0: Beautiful. No one has said that answer, by the way. So, like, that's why I said a bunch, just because it's been different from everyone. But that is so simple. That's amazing. No one has said that answer, which is so true. Just you, such a basic principle to live by, but it really could guide your entire life. Not that I... There are people that I don't respect, but just to say that in your relationship, sometimes you're snippy, sometimes you don't do what the other person wants and just, or moody, but respect really goes a long way overall. That's not, I like that a lot. It does.
5: It does. You have to give people, I mean, first of all, we're all original. We're all this one great, you know, crystal, you know, I don't know if you collect crystals, but every good, no two crystals are exactly alike. No two humans are exactly alike. Nobody's the same age. Nobody looks the same. You got to respect it. You don't look at a cri- two crystals and go, this one's better, well, you can say this one's better than the other, but you have as much respect for these two little rocks. That's, hum- that's humanity.
0: It's weird you just mentioned that. I got the first crystal I've ever gotten in my entire life, yesterday. My sister's standing there. I here, respect I you I li- for it. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for respecting it and respect the crystal. I bought a crystal, I just wanted a crystal in my house. I felt like it would just should be in the center of my house. It's so weird, you just brought that up yesterday, it came. Um, Howie, I respect you. So much. I am so grateful that you took this time to talk to me. What an amazing conversation. And it like, I will be thinking about it for, for days to come. I appreciate it so much.
5: All right. Well, I appreciate you continued success and health. All the best to you.
0: You too. And love to your family. Howie Mandel is electric, smart, interesting, kind, respectful, funny, uh, open, honest, and it was a really interesting conversation where, um, you know, in the beginning, I think people may not know what to expect. They probably think it's just gonna be a normal interview and they're gonna just, you know, tell me sort of the sound bites of their life story. And we end up getting into a really unique conversation and a, and a trajectory that none of us knew where it would go. And I just love that, you know, finding commonalities between myself and Howie Mandel is something i would never have thought of um and yet there were so many and it was really really interesting and i continue to be grateful for the time that people give me the wisdom the sort of you know intimate secrets of their lives just to help you and you can hear as we talk them wanting to give you takeaway for your career and your path so uh grateful as ever and uh thanks to you for everything and remember to rate review and subscribe thank you
4: Compatibility.
0: So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far. And you don't need a passport, which honestly, I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.